0: Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories.
1: very grey, don't you think? I remember before the war when Charles inspected the corps on a white horse. Oh, I'm sure Mr Iredale does it very nicely. He's quite devoted to the boys, isn't he? One or two especially, I understand. <coughs> I hear Mr Rode will be helping out with the corps next half.
2: Poor little Road. Do you know he'd never seen a game of rugger before he came to Cannes?
1: They don't play it at grammar schools, Charles. Oh, and dear Mrs. Rode, who but she would have thought of putting those china ducks on the wall? Like one of those tea shops. So charming.
2: I suppose you'll miss Cannes very much.
1: Cannes will certainly miss you.
2: Oh, I doubt that. When I look back on my 30 years here, I realise I have achieved rather less than a road sweeper. No, I'm quite serious. The pavement is dirty, the road sweeper makes it clean, and the state of the world is advanced, whereas I I have merely kept alive for one more generation the cult of mediocrity among the ruling class. I'm
3: sure you don't
2: mean to be offensive. You're not sure of that at all. We teach the boys. We expand their minds. I have never taught a boy in my life. Usually the boy wasn't clever enough. Occasionally. I wasn't. In most boys, perception dies with puberty. In a few, it persists and at Khan. When we find it, we take great pains to kill it. Khan is one of the great schools. Oh, yes. Parchments in Latin, seals in wax, cloisters, woodworm and a line in the doomsday book. What more do we need to instruct the sons of the rich? Now, look here. If Khan's so hateful, why do so many old boys come back? To look at us, Hecht. To gaze in wonder. After all, it was from us they learned the great secret of life. And that is? That we grow old without growing wise. That there is no blinding light on the road to Damascus, no sudden feeling of maturity—it's all a trick. If that's a joke, I used to think it was clever to confuse comedy with tragedy. Now, I wish I could distinguish
4: them. I hope I'm not being an awful nuisance, George. Delighted to see you, Brim. After all this time. <laughs> Your wife won't mind too much, will she my disturbing you? I mean?:
5: Anne isn't living here, not at the moment.
4: Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, George. Oh, what a gaff. Not at all. <sighs> so you see, it might be true. That's the difficulty. I remember the first intelligence from France about flying bombs. Do you recall what you said?
5: Resist the dramatic.
4: <laughs> you do remember. That's usually what I say. <laughs> well, I've been resisting like mad. But as soon as I read the poor woman's letter, I knew I couldn't ignore him. Well, well i go to the police. If Stella Road wanted the police, she'd have gone to them, not written to the Christian voice. We know her at the magazine. I feel responsible. I'm a ridiculous spinster, I know, George, but there it is. With other people, it's Persian cats or golf. With me, it's the voice (laughs) and my readers. Good old Brim.
5: Would you like a whisky and
4: soda? Oh, very much indeed. It's been a most unexpected day. You've left the service too, then?
5: Yes, yes, I have. It's all very different in (laughs) peacetime.
4: All our crowd gone now, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, lovely.
5: No ice, I'm afraid.
4: No. Don't believe it Nice. ice, it deadens the flavour. So uh,
5: the letter arrived this morning addressed to your advice columnist Barbara Fellowship. That's a nom de guerre, I imagine, is it you? Hmm.
4: Almost everything at the voice is me. Our circulation's very small these days. Every month I half expect Unipress to close us down, but they never do. I think with the chairman's folly. The letter, Brim. Mm. Yes. On card school paper. Here we are. Dear Miss Fellowship, is, is it all right to read it out, or, or would you rather? No, no, Laura. go on. Dear Miss Fellowship, I don't know if you're a real person, but it doesn't matter because you always give such good kind answers. It was me who wrote last June about the pastry mix. I'm not mad, and I know my husband is trying to kill me. Could I please come and see you as soon as it's convenient? I don't know who else to turn to. I'm so afraid of the long nights. Mr Cardew at the tabernacle wouldn't believe me, and Dad's too sensible. There's something not quite right about my husband. At night sometimes, when he thinks I'm asleep, he just lies there, watching the darkness. I know it's wrong to think such wicked things, but I can't help it. I hope you don't get many letters like this, For she's right about that. Yours sincerely, Stella Road, Nay, Glaston.
5: I'm so afraid of the long nights. Yes,
4: yes, that strapped me to. Is it a quotation? Not
5: one I recognise. No. What was his other letter she sent you about pastry mix?
4: Oh, it was a competition for our kitchen hints column. She won. Now that's not the point. Stella's a Glaston. You see.
5: I'm rather afraid I don't.
4: Oh, so the, the Glaston family have subscribed to the Christian voice, well, ever since it started. Stella's grandfather built chapels and tabernacles in practically every village in the Midlands. Her father, Samuel, had to go south for his health. He ended up near Bournemouth, a widower. Stella's the last of the line. And the whole lot of them are as down to earth as you could wish. Why are you looking at me like that? My
5: dear you are an astounding woman. How on earth do you know all this? Oh, the
4: Glastons are easy. They're practically part of the magazine. They send us Christmas cards and boxes of chocolates. We have about 500 families like that. Our establishment. They write to us if they have news or if they're worried about something.
5: How do you remember it all?
4: I have a card index. Oh, I see. I'm not that astounding, George. I always write back, but in this case, nobody has ever written before because she's frightened. Couldn't you ring her up? Well, I can't tonight, can I? Her husband will be in. I've I've put a letter in the post saying she can come and see me at any time. But you see, I thought.
5: You've had a bright idea. You are know,
4: somewhat bright, I think. I seem to remember Adrian Fielding had a brother who taught at Carn School. And then it occurred to me that through Adrian you know him.
5: Yes, yes, I do. At least I met him once at Morden High Table. He's um. Not quite the man Adrian was, you know.
4: How could he be? But he could tell you something about Stella Roden, her husband, would you, George? As a favour to me?
2: Fielding.
5: Good evening. I'm sorry to telephone so late. My name is George Smiley. I knew your brother was in the war.
2: Smiley? We've met, haven't we? Plump chaps, spectacles. Maudlin. the summer before last.
5: Yes, that's right. Um, look, I wonder if I might come and see you on a personal matter.
2: I can't imagine what personal matter of yours might concern me.
5: It's a little difficult to discuss on the telephone. A friend of mine has received a rather disturbing letter from the wife of a master at Cannes.
2: Tell him to ignore it. Most of the master's wives are certifiable. Who was it?
5: Well, I... Uh, rode, Stella Rode...
2: You should have waited until the morning, Smiley. Be all over the newspapers, I have no doubt. Newspapers? Erode and his wife dined with me on Wednesday night. Shortly after they returned home, Stella Road was battered to death.
6: George!
5: George! Brim, what are you doing here at this oh. dreadful hour? It's bitter. Oh.
4: I made you some sandwiches as a Fermos too.
5: The 705 from Waterloo to Yeovil may not be a popular train, Brim, but its breakfast amenities cannot be faulted. Oh.
4: Oh, well, meet them later, then. I wanted to see you off. I wish I could come, but Unipress only notice when you're not there. Seen the papers? Oh, the Herald on my way here. Very graphic.
5: Well, this is more informative. It seems Rhodes and his wife left Fielding's house at about ten to eleven and walked the half-mile back to their house. As soon as they got home... Rode remembered he'd left his briefcase at Fielding's with some exam papers in it that he needed to mark overnight. Mm. Oh, Lord, I've just reminded myself I forgot to pack my dinner jacket. Fielding's bound to ask me to die. Well,
4: I I could pop to your flat, send it on. You'd have it by tomorrow. Sure, I'll
5: manage. Mm. Anyway, Rode returned to Fielding's, and when he got home again, he found his wife dead. Signs of a struggle, lots of blood. Police want to interview a local eccentric known as Mad Janie. (laughs) Apparently, she's missing. Mad
4: Janie, yes. They mentioned her in the Herald. Sounds like something out of Hardy or Mary Webb. They seem quite certain it was her and that Road is in the clear.
5: That's what Fielding said, too.
4: But Mrs Road's letter.
5: Yes. I rang Ben Sparrow after you left last night.
4: Well, the Ben Sparrow who was with us in the war. The
5: very same. Goodness, I haven't thought of him in years. Special branch now. Oh. He's ringing the divisional superintendent at Cannes to tell him about the letter and that I'm coming down. A man named Rigby will be handling the case. He and Ben were at police college together.
4: Am I being an awful ass, making you go off like this?
5: I shall enjoy the challenge. I'm a man of leisure these days.
4: I'll telephone when I can. Enjoy the sandwiches. There's pastry. Patient... Tom.
3: It's good of you to see me, Inspector Rigby. Ben Sparrow speaks well of you. This the letter, is it? Yes. Why did Miss Brimley bring it to you, sir?
5: She worked in my department during the war. Right. What is it you do now, sir? Um, nothing much. A little private research on 17th century Germany. Oh. I promise to see the letter reach the right hands. I don't imagine there's much more I can do. Uh-huh. I shall probably stay a couple of days. I've taken a room at the sorely arms. It's a fine
3: hotel, sir. You weren't a pupil at Carnbane, chance. Good heavens, no. Chief Inspector was. Very interested in this case.
5: I can imagine I know one of the masters slightly, Terence Fielding.
3: This letter, sir, Mrs. Rhodes specifically says she couldn't say anything to Mr. Cardew at the tabernacle. She was
5: chapel, I believe, from an old nonconformist family.
3: Well, that's right, sir. Attended regular as clockwork. They like that round here. My wife's chapel, too. We know Mr. Cardew. The thing is, see, Mrs. Rhodes did say something to him. Two weeks ago or more, long before she wrote to the Christian voice. What did she say, if you uh, don't mind telling me? That she was afraid her husband was going to kill her in the long nights. long nights? Mr Cardew thought she was out of her mind. He, he tried to delve, but she burst into tears. Hurried off, he says. Odd, eh? Yes. Ah, there's a lot of oddnesses about all this. If that's a word.
5: If it isn't, it should be.
3: Carn's hmm. a place with its own ways... Big gap between town and gown, as we say. Neither side knows nor likes the other. Fear or ignorance, Inspector? Both, I reckon. And it makes it hard in a case like this. Oh, I can call on Mr Fielding or Mr Hecht and they'll give me a cup of tea in the kitchen and call me Sergeant. But I can't get among them. No-one outside can. There's no gossip in the pubs, no contacts. Just cups of tea and being called Sergeant. (laughs) If you want me to help, I'd be delighted. Oh, I'm walking up to the school in a few minutes. I'll be going past the Solly Arms. I'd be glad of the company, Inspector. My sergeant insists it's too cold to snow again. I've never been sure if that's just something people say or if it has any scientific basis. Can't help you, I'm afraid. Uh, Was the report in The Guardian accurate? Uh, pretty much. Sometime between about ten past eleven and quarter to twelve on Wednesday night. Stellar Road was struck 15 to 20 times with a length of what they call coaxial cable. You found the murder weapon? The next morning. Tossed into a ditch on the Oakford Road about four miles north of here. It's about 18 inches long, two inches diameter. It has a copper rod running down the middle and plastic insulation between the rod and the outer cover. I
5: know the kind of thing.
3: Yeah. Mr. Road used a length of the same stuff in a demonstration lecture on elementary electronics at the school it about three weeks ago. Ah. There's another oddness, you see. We're pretty certain the murderer was on foot. So why carry the weapon so far?
5: Hoping you wouldn't find it, perhaps. Yeah,
3: but the canal runs beside the Oakford Road. If he chucked it in the water, we probably never would have. Yes.
5: That's an oddness. But Mind yourself, sir. <laughs> why did Road take the exam papers to Fielding's in the first place?
3: Well, he didn't. He'd been invigilating exams all afternoon. The papers were handed to him at six o'clock. He put them in his case and had them taken to Fielding's. Boy named Perkins took them. Fielding's head of house. He's confirmed all this. Well, Fielding confirmed before him. House tutors are very possessive about their boys, you know. Don't like them to be spoken to by rough policemen. And the crime itself? Well, it looks like she answered the front door was struck down and dragged through to the conservatory. The conservatory door was unlocked, you see. It usually was, apparently. Perhaps he knew that. Perhaps. Perhaps he was hiding there already when they came home. It's hard to tell from the prince. He was wearing wellingtons, size ten and a half. The spacing of the footprints suggests he was around six feet tall. The death took place in the conservatory. We can tell that from what we call the travelled blood. That's the blood spurting from the old Bernardins. The murderer came through the back garden where he went to, heaven only knows. He left one thing behind an old cloth belt, navy blue, from a cheap overcoat by the look of it. We're working on that now. And the body? Battered to hell. No sign of interference. She was wearing a string of green beads. They've gone. Well, here we are, sir. I saw the arms. You get them to make you something hot, sir. You look half-frozen. Oh, the walking helps. <laughs> Will you it? join me in a hot drink? Or something stronger, if you prefer. Well, I'm on duty, sir. But a cup of tea, never goes amiss.
5: So, Rode returned from Fielding's house and discovered his wife's body. He didn't have his keys. Rang the bell, got no reply.
3: Walked around to the conservatory and stumbled into it. Didn't know what he tripped over at first. Then he realised his hands were covered in blood. He doesn't remember much after that. He was found on the road by another staff member, Felix Darcy. He lives in the house closest to Northfields. There must have been a lot of blood in the conservatory. An awful lot. Terrible. The killer would have been covered in it. The outside tap had been turned on. The boffins have found traces of blood under it. Probably the murderer washing his hands. Fingerprints? Mr Rhodes, all over the place, consistent with his story. Others underneath them,
5: smudged. Probably made by a gloved hand. You've been most thorough, Inspector. Seems to me a great deal has been achieved very quickly. Well, thank you, sir. I'm not sure my chief sees it quite like that. Does Mrs. Rhodes' letter help in any way? Frankly, no.
3: We've no case against the husband at all, in all honesty, with the shock he's precious little use to us. And if your letter's right, tell me how he could have produced Wellington boots out of a hat and got rid of them afterwards. Battered his wife to death without leaving more than a smudge or two on himself and got the weapon four miles from the scene, all within 20 minutes of being at Fielding's house.
5: I take your point. What about the woman the papers mentioned? Janie, is it? Ah, her.
3: Janie's not quite with us, poor thing. Talks to birds, sells herbs and charms at the back door. You know the sort? I think so. <laughs> Lives in a disused Norman church over a pile. Stella Road befriended her. Janey was seen near Northfields that night and hasn't been seen since.
5: I'm sorry the letter's no help. I didn't intend to make your job more complicated. You understand, though.
3: I can't put men under chasing shadows in letters when there's searches and house-to-house inquiries to be done. Of course. And it's clear what we're looking for. A six-foot maniac travelling on foot with a hunk of... Coaxial cable in one hand, and in the other, a string of green beads with an imitation diamond clip worth 23 and 6. Yes. Hmm. I'm an old policeman, Mr. Smiley, and I don't like looking for people I can't believe in. I don't like to be cut off from witnesses. I like to meet people, nose about in their heads, but I can't do that. So it's boffins and labs and tracker dogs. That's what the chief wants, and he's right. But somehow I don't think it's altogether one of those cases. Mm. I should be getting along. Here's my card. I've written my home number
5: on the back.
4: Ring
3: me any time at all.
5: I shall. Thank you, Inspector.
4: How's the hotel?
5: Rather drafty. I've spoken to Rigby. And? And almost everything points away from the husband. Which means, I suppose, that Stella's allegation in the letter... Must be the result of a persecuted mind. Or, if I'm a superstitious, a premonition of death. Oh,
4: gosh. Well, if that's so... If I mean, that's it's... so, it's
5: the most monstrous coincidence I've ever heard of.
4: When are you meeting Fielding?
2: He's asked me to supper.
4: You'll let me know what happens.
2: You're very welcome, Smiley. Marvellous, this snow, isn't it? Seen the boys skating by the eight. Pure Bruegel. Uh, leave your coat on that chair. You recognise it by any chance? Should I? It's a replica of Van Gogh's yellow chair. I had it made in Provence before the war. Some people recognise it. Oh. We usually dress in the evening. I suppose it doesn't matter. Come through. Madeira or sherry wine? Thank you. A glass of sherry. Good. Good. Madeira's a tart drink. The boys like it. Perhaps that's why. <laughs> boys are frightful flats. We're uh, all rather subdued at the moment by this dreadful business.
5: Mm-hmm. have the boys taken it?
2: Oh, they adore it. Boys love disaster. The further one is from death, the more attractive it seems. My own house has been particularly fortunate because the Rhodes were dining here that night. Uh, Some from the police even wanted to question my head of house. What about? God knows. Well, Your health. Thank you. You knew my brother well, didn't you? He spoke of you.
5: I knew Adrian very well.
2: We were close friends. In the war, too? Yes. You and his crowd, then? Steed, Asprey, Jebedee, those people? Yes. I never really heard how he died, did you? No. We didn't see much one another in later years. Being a fraud, I can't afford to be seen beside the genuine article. You see before you, a dead soul, Smiley. Khan isn't a school, you see. It's a sanatorium for intellectual lepers. From the day we come down from university, there's a gradual putrefaction of our mental extremities. Our minds die, our spirits atrophy and rot. We watch the process in one another, hoping to forget it in ourselves. What was it you wanted to see me about?
5: Oh, a letter from Mrs. Rhode, just before she was murdered. The police are handling it now, but they don't regard it as significant. I fear I would have wasted your time. Come.
2: Message from Mr. Darcy, sir. Oh, meet Perkins, my head prefect. Hello. Musical genius, but a problem in the schoolroom, right, Tim? Sir. What's the message? He'll be a few minutes late. Thank heaven for small mercies. Well, thank you, Perkins. Sir. Mr. Darcy is dining with us? Yes. Sorry, I should have warned you. I don't usually entertain on Fridays, because everyone else does, but then, well, Darcy's hardly entertaining. He's senior tutor by election, bachelor by profession, sublimated pansy by inclination, and his subject is other people's shortcomings. A frightful worm. It's all most unseemly.
0: Hecht had to eject a journalist from the Abbey during prayers tonight, somewhat forcibly, too.
2: Pity he was on duty. A newspaper men were causing no disturbance until he challenged well, It's them. hardly to be
0: wondered at. One Sunday newspaper mentioned four of Heck's old boys in the same edition, all of them in an unseemly context. Perhaps they've been caught doing unseemly things. Newspapers of that kind never fail to mention that the boy is a Carnian. I can appreciate that it is aggravating, but their interest in Mr. Road is justifiable, surely. Well, Stella was too common for Darcy. Wasn't she, Feeling? Fielding, I would not have you say that of me. <laughs> I'm by no means discriminatory in matters of class, only of manners. Stella Road was everything Carne likes to ignore. Red brick, council estates, Newtown. As senior tutor, I have a duty to restore and maintain those standards of behavior which suffered so sadly in the war. You dislike Stella Road because she was honest. Khan has no defence against honesty. It had nothing to do with personalities. If I criticised her conduct, it was in order that she might become enlightened. Did the other wives like her? The wives? My God! <laughs> her clothes, I believe, were a source of distress to some of them. And nor did it make a favourable impression that she attended the tabernacle, not the abbey. Did she have any friends among the wives? I believe young Mrs Snow took to her. Charming young woman, Mrs Snow. Very musical. Teaches the cello to the more promising boy.
2: It was Darcy and his sister who found Raid and Mm. took him in afterwards.
0: Yes, indeed. We will never forget. Never. Mr Smiley, I know the gutter press would have it that we are somewhat cut off here. A snob school. But no one could be less of a snob than I. Take Paul Rode, for instance. As I said to the master, with careful instruction, such people can learn our customs and even our manners. Let me fill your glass, Smiley. Thank you. But if I'm honest, Mrs Rode would never really have fitted in at Cannes. Her background was against her. I have reason to believe that it was her past which brought about her death. Really? In what way? I really shouldn't say any more. But you will, I'm sure. If pressed. Consider yourself pressed. Well, you see, Smiley, my sister Dorothy is devoted to dogs. King Charles' spaniels are her forte. Uh, the Rhodes had a mongrel, large, quite intelligent. Rhodes took it with him to watch games matches until I advised him against the practice. It was giving rise to unseemly humour among the boys. I found the same thing myself when exercising Dorothy's spaniels. The point, Darcy? Well, the Rhodes and Dorothy shared the same vet, a superior type of person named Harriman... One day, a uh, fortnight ago, I happened to be at home when he called. Dorothy's prize queen of Carn was coughing badly. A bitch of her quality is not to be taken lightly, you know. Quite. I made some passing reference to the Rhodes dog, and the truth came out. Stella Rhodes had had it destroyed the previous day. For what reason? She said it had bitten the postman. The post office would sue. The police had been round. Ooh, I don't know what else. Harriman suggested the dog be given another chance, but Mrs Road was adamant. And here's the thing. Harriman said the dog had been maltreated. Seriously so. Its back was marked as if from beatings. Who might have beaten it? He never found out. Not Road or his wife, I'll oh, wager. They weren't that type at all. Now, Dorothy and I discussed it, and I think the explanation is obvious enough. Oh? No? We believe Stella Road formed some unsavoury association before coming to Carn. Some violent ruffian. An old admirer, perhaps, who followed her here. Perhaps he resented the improvement in her station. He took his anger out on the dog and later on Stella herself. How badly bitten was the postman? That's the very crux of the story, my dear fellow. The postman had not been bitten at all. Dorothy inquired. Her story was an absolute string of lies from beginning to end. (laughs) Isn't that odd?
5: Thank you for dinner, Fielding. I must return the favour.
2: In London, perhaps, at the end of the half? Yes, yes, I'll be in touch. Good night, Darcy. What a beautiful evening. Look at the snow. There's been a new
0: fall. Ah, the long nights, Terence. The long nights. Good night, then.
5: Yeah. <clears throat> Our way lies together, I think
0: Yes, you pass my house to reach your hotel And Northfields too, I think, the roads House Indeed, a few minutes further on uh, Will you be attending the funeral tomorrow? I shall pay my respects
5: You used a phrase just now, I couldn't help but be struck by it
0: Long nights. Evocative, isn't it? We have a proverb that it always snows at Karn in the long nights. Do you know its origin? Of course. Uh, Before the Reformation, the monks here kept vigil during Lent between Compline and Lawrence. Compline was the last of the canonical day hours and was said before retiring for the night. But during Lent, the monks did not retire, and hence... The nights were long. Yes.
5: So, you thought the Rhodes an
0: ill-matched couple? Did I give that impression? Is it incorrect? I suppose not. He had potential here she had none. If her death had happened any other way, I would have called it a blessed release for Rhodes. That's very frank. She was a thoroughly mischievous woman, Smiley, who made it her business to hold her husband up to ridicule. And Khan, too? Just so. This is a critical moment in Khan's history. Many public schools have conceded to the vulgar clamour for change at any price. Khan has not, so it is all the more important that we protect ourselves. Uh, my, My sister and I always have a small party in the middle of the half, and I feel it is particularly important that we should continue to do so on this occasion. I will send a note to the sorley tomorrow. That's very kind of you. Well, here we are. Good night. Uh, take the left fork, it leads past North Fields and on into the town. It should take you no more than half an hour. Thank you. Lord, I've broken the dogs again. Dorothy will be furious.
5: Hello? Is someone there? Good evening.
7: I thought you was the devil, mister, but you am got no wings.
5: Uh, I'm not the devil. My name is George. I don't wish to hurt you.
7: You can't do nothing, because i got the holly for to hold you. You bide there, mister, for little Jane can hold you.
5: Oh, yes, Jane, I'll bide here. Away
7: from little Jane, however pretty she and do be. Oh,
5: yes, Jane, you're a very pretty girl, I can see that. Mm. And that's a pretty cape you're wearing. <laughs> What's that under it, Jane? Is it an overcoat? Janey see
7: the devil fly, Mister. Janey seed him, silver wings like fishes. Eam, Dad.
5: Where did you find that coat, Janey?
7: bad Abaddon. I seed him flying, riding on the wind, and the moon behind him lighting up the way. Janey, you by there, I say. You, you bide. Jamie. No, no. are ah. closest sisters,
6: Moon and the Devil.
5: Thank you for letting me know, Mr. Smiley. I knew she was missing, and, well, it was the coat that caught my eye a dark overcoat like a man's. I didn't know if it was navy blue, but... Well, I've had the sergeant from Oakford posted up in the church where she lives. There's a
3: light burning, so it seems Janie's back. The village won't be happy about that. Huh? They think she's a witch. Ah. Uh, well, I think we'd better go over and bring her in. We? What, well, if you wouldn't mind? I, am. Um... What's the matter? You're not scared, are you? Of mad Janie?
5: Yes, actually. Yes, I rather think I am.
7: What did Janie see, eh? Oh, a naughty darling, naughty creature! Oh, whom there? You bide where you be! You bide! Janie? <coughs> Janie, Janie, Janie,
3: it's only me. I don't mean you any harm.
7: Janie saw the devil, Janie. drove him off.
3: Well, that's the thing, Janie. You saw something important, didn't you? Where'd you get that overcoat, Janie?
7: darling, my darling. Look,
3: Inspector, on the altar. Oh, those are pretty beads, Janie. They were Mrs. Rhodes, weren't they?
7: Green beads, my darlings. I took her jewels for the saints to pretty out the church and a cook to keep me warm. What else happened
3: that night, Janie? I
7: told my darling. You naughty creature for to go with the devil. She did not hearken, see. Was she
3: with the devil that night, Janie? I can't
7: abide them. Just go with the devils in the night. She never would hearken. That's all Janie's saying. But Janie drove the devil off. And there's one who will thank me. That's my time. Well, we'll
3: thank you too, Janie. Now, will you come along with us? We'll give you a ride in our car. Will you come, Janie? Give me hand here, Mr. Smiley. Would you? Oh, oh, oh.
2: Man that is born of woman has but a short
5: time to live and is full of misery. He
2: cometh
8: up and is cut down like a flower. Mr Rowe? That's right, yes. My condolences, Mr Rowe Thank you.
5: My name is Smiley. I'm representing Miss Brimley of the Christian Voice.
8: She was most anxious that the journal should be represented. Oh, yes, I saw your wreath. Very kind, I'm sure. It was a nice funeral, wasn't it? When did you come? Yesterday. Making a weekend of it, eh? I would
5: like, if I may, to write a small obituary of your wife for the magazine. Stella would have liked that. If you're not too upset, perhaps I could call round tomorrow for one or two details.
6: Eleven
8: o'clock? Yes. Yes, of course. It'll be a pleasure.
5: (coughs) Inspector. This is a surprise. I was about to go down for dinner. Evening, sir. Did you go to the funeral? I did. Nothing to report. Though poor Mr Rode did seem to be somewhat ignored by the other guests. Deliberately? Perhaps they were showing sensitivity at a time of great sorrow. Yes. Are you all right, Inspector? Would you like to come in? Thank you, sir.
3: I wanted to tell you myself before it's all over the papers... The chief wants Mad Janie charged. With what? Murder. Oh, dear. That's nonsense, isn't it? She was out on the prowl, I have no doubt. She saw something. She may even have robbed the body or picked up the beads where the murderer dropped them. But she no more killed Stella Roll than I did.
5: No. Do you get used to it, Inspector? What? A squalor of things. There's nothing picturesque about Janie and her kind, is there? Nothing charming, just stinking rags wrapped round wretched limbs. An imbecile who clutches and screams and weeps. Who is it she calls the devil? What were his silver wings? How did he ride the wind? What scared her so much that for three nights she prowled like an animal in the forest? Well, she's trying to tell us, I think, the way she understands it.
3: We've traced the overcoat to a baker in Carn East. He gave it to Stella Rode last Wednesday for her refugee charity. And Janie must have pinched it from the Conservatory. That's what she meant. A coat for to keep me warm. But Janey's not strong enough to do so much damage to Mrs Rode. Anyone can see this is a man's work. Well, the chief's called off the chase and Janie's to be charged. I am sorry.
5: I'm seeing Mr Rode tomorrow morning on behalf of the Christian voice. Rather a cheap trick to play on a man who's suddenly lost his wife, I know. Still, the end justifies the means, eh? Mm-hmm. I've never entirely managed to reconcile the two. <laughs> but it may prove informative. Otherwise, I fear I would have been useless. Not at all. That's how I feel. Useless. And rather angry.
8: You don't have a car, do you? I'm afraid I left it in London. Never mind. Thought we might have gone out for a drive, had a chat as we went. I get a bit fed up kicking around here on my own. I understand. Do you? I don't think many do. The master and Mr Darcy have farmed out all my exam correcting. I've no teaching either, nothing. I'm sure they did it for the best. Simon Snow got some of my division to correct. 61 he gave Perkins, 61? The boy's an absolute fool. I told Fielding at the beginning of the half that he wouldn't possibly get his remove. A nice enough boy, but he'd have been lucky to get 30%. Would you like some coffee? I'm quite comfortable, thank you. Not that I don't want the boy to get on. He's well-mannered enough and pleasant. And Stella and I were going to have him to tea this half like we do all... I'm sorry. I wonder whether perhaps I might... Yes. Yes, go ahead, Mr Smiley.
5: We are, of course, largely interested in Mrs Rhodes' association with church. You were married in Bournemouth, I believe?
8: Branksome Hill, Tabernacle. September 55, that was. Um, did Mrs Road engage in charitable work in Bournemouth? I know she was very active here. A lot here, yes. Not there. It was refugee work, the Hungarians. And what about her other social activities? May I say that she took an active part in school affairs? Um, a bit... Being chapel, she kept mainly with the chapel people from the town. Thank you. She will also, of course, be remembered as the winner of our Kitchen Hints competition.
5: Is there, I wonder, any little fact you'd like us to include? Anything
8: she herself would like to be remembered by? Uh, Oh, you could say her father was a magistrate up north. She was proud of that. Well,
5: you've been most patient with me. I'll make sure we send you an advance copy of our notice. Thanks. She liked The Voice. Always did. Well, if you're ever in London and at a loose end and want to chat... and a cup of tea... we're always pleased to see you at The Voice, you know.
8: Thanks. That's very decent, Mr... Smiley. Mr Smiley. Yes, no one said they're pleased to see me for a long time. I'll take you up on that one day. Very good of you.
1: It must be dreadfully important for Darcy to serve decent sherry.
8: We were both dining with
5: Terence Fielding. I think he felt obliged to invite me.
1: <laughs> Terence is wicked, isn't he? Charles loathes him. Terence knows it and deliberately provokes him. It's all rather marvellous. Well, so sweet of you to come to the funeral yesterday. Not at all. I'm not quite sure about funerals, are you? I have a suspicion they're largely a lower-class recreation. Cherry brandy and seed cake in the parlour. I always remember King George V's funeral. Lord Sawley was at court in those days and gave Charles two tickets. I think it rather spoiled us for ordinary funerals. Have you met Lord Sawley? Yes. Hmm. Really? Oh, be an angel, would you, and refill my glass? I hate Sherry, but Felix is so mean... Isn't dreadful about the murder? Dreadful? Stella Rhodes was a sweet person. She did such clever things with the same dress. Wasn't she a Christian scientist or something?
5: Baptist, I understand.
1: How fascinating that you found that out. What exactly are you?
5: Oh, I'm more or less retired. Married? Practically unemployed.
1: I adore a conundrum. I read in the paper that her father was quite well off. I do not think she needed to make friends with beggars. Though of course the Midlands are different, aren't they? Where did you say you came from? London. How nice. I went to tea with Stella once. Milk in first and Indian. Shall I tell you the truth? If you wish. Stella Rhodes is one of those tiresome little snobs who think only the humble are virtuous. Smiley! Oh, delighted to have you here. Felix, such a lovely party. Mr Smiley and I were talking about Mrs Rhodes' sweet little funeral.
0: She may have been bad form, Mrs Hecht, but she did a great deal for my sister's refugees. Refugees? Uh, Dorothy is collecting for the Hungarians. Clothes, furniture, money. Uh, Mrs Rhodes was one of the few wives who did anything, Dorothy says. Got her little women at the Baptist Chapel onto it, too. Dorothy won't hear a word against her. Yeah, Dorothy. My sister went round on the Friday, you know, after... Went with that man from the Tin Tabernacle, Cardio, to see if there was any refugee stuff to be tidied up. Do you know, there wasn't a thing out of place. Every bit of clothing was all parceled up and addressed. All they had to do was send it off. Stella was friendly with Mrs. Snow, I believe. Is she here? Yeah, by the fireplace.
1: Why?
5: There's a very slight connection. I should say hello. Oh, do excuse me. Uh, uh,
1: Dorothy! You know. The only smiley I ever heard of married Lady Anne Sercombe at the end of the war. Oh? <laughs> she left him soon afterwards, of course. Very curious match. I understand he was quite unsuitable. She was Lord Sawley's cousin, you know. The Sawleys have been connected with Carn for 400 years. The present heir is one of Charles' pupils. We often dine at the castle. Have you dined there? I don't recall. I never did hear what became of Anne Sercombe. She went to Africa, you know, or India. Oh, no. It was America. So tragic. One doesn't talk about it at the castle. Run along, why don't you, and talk to the snows. Felix, any more sherry? Must
5: have been a great shock, Mrs. Snap.
9: I liked Stella. She was the only person here who's ever been kind to us.
5: I
10: wasn't a boy here, you see, so we didn't know anyone when we arrived.
9: And nobody was really very interested. Hmm. It was Stella who made us welcome. She even got Mr Mulligan to help us move and absolutely refused to let us pay his bill. I think she must have paid it for us.
5: You helped her with the refugees, I believe.
9: I did. And now Dorothy Darcy wants me to take over her job. I shall have to tell her no.
5: I get the impression that Miss Darcy is not accustomed to being turned down. (laughs)
9: Anyway, uh, she'll need to recruit someone more permanent.
10: I'm leaving, you see. We're going back to Oxford.
9: Where we met. Simon's got a grant. Hurrah! <laughs> He's going to do a DPhil and get a university job.
10: How do you find Stanley Road? A good schoolmaster? Rather tiring as a companion.
9: Quite different from Stella. Terribly calm-minded. Hmm. Darcy adopted him and he got the bug. He even changed his religion, you know. Stella would never have done that.
5: I can't imagine Stella and Shane Hecht hitting it off.
9: <laughs> Not a bit. Shane was a horrid to her. Stella didn't care. She knew nobody could touch her when it came to the refugees. That's how she got into such trouble. Trouble? Just before she died, she had the most frightful row with Dorothy Darcy. Let
10: me tell you, it's a good story.
9: mad, Simon. Not here. Somebody's bound to overhear.
5: I'm intrigued. Look, I'd be happy to give you both dinner at my hotel. I imagine the food is fairly dreadful, but if you've no other plans... Oh, how sweet of
9: you. We'd be delighted, wouldn't we, Simon?
5: Well, the coffee's not too bad, at any rate.
9: I enjoy dinner. I'm very fond of bread and butter pudding.
5: So am I, I must confess. As my waistband will bear witness.
9: (laughs) Now, come along, Simon. Sing for your supper.
5: Only if you're quite certain. When it all began,
10: Dorothy Darcy was fired up with charitable enthusiasm for the Hungarian refugees. (laughs) There was a perfectly good town appeal going, but that wasn't enough for Dorothy.
9: The Refugee Centre in London wrote to Dorothy and asked whether anyone would be prepared to accommodate a refugee couple.
10: I was coming to that.
9: come do it then.
10: Dorothy wrote straight back and said she'd put them up herself. So far, so good. The couple duly turned up and moved in with the Darcys. The local press wrote it up as an example of British humanity. Then, about
9: three weeks ago... darling... No, let me, please... This couple turned up on Stella's doorstep in a dreadful state. Stella calmed them down and finally they managed to explain in basic English that they had run away from the Darcy's because of the way they'd been treated.
10: Apparently, the wife was expected to work in the kitchen from morning to night and the husband was acting as unpaid kennel boy for Dorothy's ghastly dogs. The ones
9: with no (laughs) noses.
10: King Charles. Anyway, the wife was pregnant and he was a fully qualified engineer, so neither of them was exactly suited to domestic service. Dorothy had gone to a dog show for the day, so they had seized the moment. And what did Mrs Road do about it? Told the couple to stay with her and went round personally to see Dorothy that evening, which was plucky, wasn't it? She just did the simple thing,
9: the right thing.
10: Dorothy was furious, apparently, (laughs) and, and demanded the return of her refugees. Stella phoned the refugee people in London. A woman came down, saw Dorothy and took the couple back with her. You can
9: imagine what Shane Hecht would have made of that story if she'd ever found out. Didn't she? Stella never told anyone but us, and we didn't pass it on. Dorothy let it be known that the refugees had gone to some job in London, and that was that.
5: This was three weeks ago,
10: you see? To the day. How can you be so sure it was to the day?
9: Stella told me when she came to supper, which was the night you were in Oxford for your interview, which was three weeks ago tonight.
10: Seems longer.
9: (laughs) Poor Simon's been having an awful time. Felix Darcy has unloaded all Rhodes' exam correcting onto him.
10: It's been rather humiliating, actually. Several boys I took for science last half are now in Rhodes' forms. One or two I thought were practically unteachable. But Rhodes seems to have brought them on wonderfully. One boy in particular. He got 61%. When he was with me, he only got 15% in a much
5: easier paper. Ah, this was Perkins, wasn't it? A red-headed boy, Fielding's head of house. Don't tell me you know him. (laughs) Fielding introduced us.
9: I teach him the cello. He'll have to go to Mrs Harlow now. We're
5: leaving. So, no-one else ever mentioned that incident to you? About Miss Darcy's refugees?
9: No. We were the only ones who knew about it, apart from Stella and Dorothy. Dorothy must have hated Stella.
4: How's Carl? What (sighs) developments?
5: A dog that did bite the postman, a devil that rode on the wind... A disgruntled refugee couple.
4: Well, that's as clear as mud. I know. You need a sounding board, don't you?
5: Am I so transparent?
4: Well, worked in the war even when I didn't know the people involved. Sound away.
5: Motive. Motive, that's the thing. Who hated Stella enough to kill her? I can't see anyone here with a conceivable motive, not in a sane world.
4: Is Khan a sane world?
5: (laughs) You're awfully good, Brim, I'd forgotten.
4: Same people in the same place, year after year, watching the world change around them, not really knowing why or how they fit in.
5: I telephoned Stella's father ostensibly about the obituary. Mm. I told him about the letter. He seemed unsurprised. Stella was a great one for chatter, he said. That was all. I spoke to the local minister too, Cardew. Mm. Stella Road was a good worker. Oh,
4: not exactly a tribute. Quite. Right.
5: And then... They're the oddnesses. Far away. The overcoat was given to Stella for the refugees. Janie took it, presumably at the same time as she took the beads, which must have been after the murder. But when Dorothy Darcy went round on Friday morning, every bit of clothing for the refugees was parceled up and addressed. If Stella had packed up everything else, why not the overcoat too?
4: Perhaps Janie took it earlier in the day?
5: Or perhaps... Somebody else, someone who was not Stella Road, packed up the clothes after Stella had died and before Dorothy Darcy and Mr Cardew went round to Northfields on Friday morning.
4: Why should
5: anyone do that? Quite. I found in my work that it's dangerous to proceed beyond the evidence. A fact once logically arrived at should not be extended beyond its natural significance. Do you have any free time in the next day or two? I have a little errand for you.
9: Oh, Tim.
8: I'm sorry, Mrs Snow. I I don't know what the matter is today. I I just can't quite... Tim,
9: dear, put the cello down. Take a deep breath. Now. Now. What is it? Why are you in such a tis?
8: It's nothing. Really.
9: Is it your remove?
8: I've got to get it. And I've only got one more heart.
9: You'll get your passes, Tim. The more you worry, the harder it will be. You need to relax.
8: Oh, I am a little. It's
9: It's fine, Tim. We won't practice next week, if you like. Just come and have buns and we'll play some records.
8: <sighs> Thanks, Mrs Snow. I'd like that.
9: And look on the bright side. Your science results were a huge improvement, weren't they? That'll help towards your remove.
8: I'd better get back now.
9: Well, there's plenty of time to a boy's tea. No, I should go. Well, be careful. The lane's still slippery with the snow. The lights on your bike are working all right now, are they?
8: Fine. I'll be going. Bye.
9: What is it, Tim? What's the matter? Nothing.
8: Really. Good night.
4: Oh, hello. hello.
7: Have you been ringing long? Sorry. No,
4: no, I've just this minute arrived. This is the distribution centre for the Public Schools Committee. For refugee relief, yes, that's us. Oh, thank goodness.
7: You didn't go to Belgrave Square, did oh. you? Oh, That's just the address on the note notepaper. yeah so
4: I discovered. I think they were rather cross. <laughs>
7: Come in, I'll make you a drink. Oh. If you've braved the worlds of darkest
4: Kennington, it's the least I can do. Oh, thank do. you. I'm sorry to be a nuisance, but oh, oops. <laughs> um, a friend of mine who lives in Cannes... Cannes? It... How lovely. Yeah. My friend gave an old grey dress to the refugee people last Thursday, and now she's convinced she's left her brooch pinned to the bodice. Oh. She rang me yesterday in a dreadful state and made me promise to come round and ask... I do hope I'm not too late.
7: Late? <laughs> Heavens no, we're miles behind. Oh, okay. All this stuff's waiting to be unpacked and sorted. As
4: soon as she realised her mistake, she got hold of the local woman, but the parcel had gone.
7: When was this?
4: Uh, Friday morning.
7: From Cannes? Train or post?
4: Uh, post, I believe.
7: I'll check the ledger. Oh, Hang on.
4: Thank you. Oh, goodness <laughs> me.
7: Wouldn't you have arrived till yesterday at the earliest? Mm-hmm. How we'll cope with Easter coming, I've no idea. <laughs> We are Khan Parcel Post, £27.
4: Oh, and I wonder if we might have a quick look inside.
7: The Monday lot will be by the door. You can help if you like.
4: Oh, thank you. Not used for this, you know. I've told the girl to keep everything as it is. It'll be all right for an hour or two.
5: Well done, Prim. And?
4: There's a plastic Macintosh. You know, one of those cape things. Cut down Wellington's and some leather gloves that look as though they're stained with blood. Mm -hmm. Smudges on some of the wrapping paper, too, by the look of it. The girl said it hadn't been packed by the usual person. Uh Stella Rhodes' parcels were always very neat. The girl said it's like handwriting. One gets to recognise it.
5: I'll speak to Rigby. Get him to send someone.
4: Was it the husband? He could have done up the parcel, couldn't he?
5: I don't know, Broom. I really don't. Whoever it was, it was planned to the last detail. Planned to look unplanned.
4: Why did Stella die,
5: George? What was the motive? You know, Brim, I sometimes think there isn't a true thing on earth. Nothing constant, no single point that's completely dependable. You'd think one could rely on pure logic, wouldn't you? Or find a truth in mysticism of some kind. But one can't. Let alone know the truth about men's motives. Especially when they feel the need to do something violent.
3: Ah, Mr. Smiley. You've heard, then? Heard? About the boy, Perkins. Fielding's head of house.
5: I've heard nothing. What's happened to him?
3: Oh, good Lord, I thought you knew. Well, half past eight last night, Fielding rang us here. The boy hadn't come back from a music lesson with Mrs. Snow. We put out an alert and started looking for him. They sent a patrol car along the road he should have come back on. And? Well, nothing the first time. Then on the way back, they stopped at the bottom of Longmead Hill, where the water splash is. They found him half in the ditch, his bike beside him. His right temple was smashed in. Oh, my dear God. Dead? Oh, yes. It looks as though he must have fallen near the bottom of the hill and hid his head on a rock.
5: How did Fielding take it?
3: Well, I wouldn't have believed it if I hadn't been there. He wept like a child.
5: Perhaps before we go any further, I'd better give you my news. I've just heard from Miss Brimley.
3: I've said I'll be in London by eight. The parcel should be with our forensic people by then. I'm very grateful to you, Mr
5: Smiley. It was what is called, I think, a hunch. Perhaps you should join
3: the force, sir.
5: I'm very grateful, by the way, Inspector, for the way you accepted my somewhat impertinent suggestion about consulting a handwriting expert. What is a good suggestion? Some officers might have resented the intrusion. I have an appointment with him first thing in the morning.
3: I've got samples of Perkins' writing and the examination paper. Good. I suppose I should let Janie go. She was right, wasn't she? Silver wings in the moonlight. The plastic Macintosh must have looked like that to
5: her. I'd keep hold of Janie. As long as you can possibly manage. You don't want any more deaths, do we?
3: You don't think Perkins had an accident,
5: do you? Good Lord, no. And neither do you. If your people find fingerprints on that Macintosh, which I doubt, will you have anything... Local to compare them with?
3: Well, they've got Rhodes, of course, and Janie's. Uh-huh. Not Fielding's. Why would you think we might have Mr. Fielding's fingerprints, sir?
5: His brother told me something about it once. It was hushed up, wasn't it? All right, we do have his prints.
3: From an incident a long time ago, nothing to do with this kind of thing.
5: During the war, in the north somewhere. Sir.
3: It happened in the holidays, some Air Force chap.
5: Poor Fielding. Well, here we are, sir. Thank you for the lift. It keeps promising to thaw, but never quite manages it, does it? What will you do? Oh, I have plenty with which to occupy myself, thanks. (coughs) Drive safely.
2: Oh, for God's sake. What do you want?
5: Just to say goodbye. And to offer my condolences.
2: You could have sent a card for that. I
5: could have, yes. Only it seemed so very tragic when Perkins was so near success. What the devil do you mean? The improvement in his work. Simon Snow was telling me. Amazing, really. The way road brought Perkins on. Goodbye, Smiley. Thanks for coming. It was more or less a matter of life and death for the boy, wasn't it? Passing that exam... He wouldn't have got his removed next half if he'd failed in science. Then he couldn't have sat for the army. Perkins had a lot to thank Road for, didn't he? And you too, Fielding. It will comfort his parents to know how much was done for him. You've heard the latest, I suppose. They've decided mad Janey's fit to plead. They'll hang her, no doubt. The third death. And the odd thing is, Fielding, just between ourselves... I don't believe she did it. No.
2: You agree? Khan killed them. It was Khan. Oh, for God's sake, go, will you? You've got what you want. You can pin me on your little board with the other specimens. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear me. Sit down Peter. Let
5: me pour you a brandy. Don't worry. Sit down. <laughs>
10: <laughs>
6: there
5: I need you to listen, Terrence If what I think is true, there isn't much time I want you to tell me about Tim Perkins, about the exam Smiley He would have failed, wouldn't he? He'd have had to leave That day, Rode gave him the writing case to bring here With the exam papers in it Perkins brought the case And you asked him how he'd done in the exam. He wept. He wept as only a child can. And after breaking down, he told you he had cheated, that he'd opened the case, he'd looked up the answers and
2: copied them onto his paper, is that right? Tim wouldn't have cheated to save his life. That's the whole bloody irony of it. Tim didn't cheat. I cheated for him. You couldn't have? How could you have copied his handwriting? It's only formulae and diagrams. He wrote with a ball pen, the kind we all use Abbott sell them. Ah. After he'd delivered the case and gone, I looked at his paper. Hopeless. He'd only done two questions out of seven. So, I did them for him. I cribbed them from the science book, copied his hand as best I could. Then it was you who opened the case? Yes. Me.
5: Not Tim. And so when Stella was murdered, you knew who had done it? Of
2: course. Road. Pour me another brandy, would you? Have something yourself. I have no money, Smiley. Not a bean. Does anyone else know that? Only the master has any idea how bad it is. You see, once in the war, I made an ass of myself and got into trouble. During the holidays, I I was up north, giving some talks at an RAF educational place. I, I stepped out of line badly. They pulled me in, and along came Darcy, wearing his country gentleman's overcoat and bearing the master's terms. Come back to Cannes, my dear fellow. We'll say no more about it. Go on, running your house. There's been no publicity. We know it'll never happen again, my dear fellow. We're dreadfully hard up for staff. Come back. It sounds generous. There were three more words. As a temporary. Come back. As a temporary. I've been one ever since. Every December, I go cap in hand to Darling Darcy, asking for my contract to be renewed. And, of course... There is no pension. I shall have to teach at a crammer's. I found a place in Somerset, sort of breaker's yard for old dons. I'm seeing their headmaster in London on Thursday. I had to ask the master for a reference.
5: And this is why you felt you could say nothing about what you saw in Rhodes' case?
2: Or given my history, how would they have construed my cheating for Tim? What would they call it? Inordinate affection? It wasn't like that? Not that kind of affection, Smiley. Not anymore. You never heard Tim play the cello? He wasn't marvellous, but... Just sometimes he would play with a kind of studious simplicity that was... Indescribably good. He was an awkward boy, but when he played well, it was such a surprise. So, if you told the police what you had seen, it would have ruined Tim, too. In the whole of Carn, he was the one thing I loved. Loved? For God's sake, why not? Tim's parents wanted him to go to Sandhurst. I didn't. I thought that if I could keep him here another half or two, I might be able to get him a music scholarship. That's why I made him head of house. He was rotten at it. And what exactly was in the writing case when you opened it that evening to look at Tim's exam paper? A sheet of transparent plastic. Maybe in one of those packaway cape things. An old pair of gloves and a pair of cut down Wellington boots. That's all? No. There was a length of heavy cable for demonstrating something or other in Rhodes' science lessons, I imagine. Seemed natural enough in winter to carry waterproofs about. then, after the murder, I realise how he must have done it. Did you know why? Rhodes, the first grammar school man we've had here. Karn thrilled him. He grew drunk on it, drunk with the pride of Karn... Hurt him terribly that Stella wouldn't share any of that. At dinner that night, road went on and on about the beauty of Khan, the dignity, the reverence. She kept quiet till he'd finished, then laughed and said, Poor old Stan. You'll always be poor old Stan to me. I've never seen anyone as angry as he was then. Stella was chapel. That was only one of the things that set her apart. The simplest things. Like eating an apple. She'd peel it in one piece, round and round, till the whole peel fell off. Then she'd dice it into quarters, like a miner's wife preparing it for her husband. She must have seen how we do things here, but it never occurred to her that she ought to copy them. I admire that. So do you, I expect. But Carne doesn't. And Rode didn't. I think he came to see her as the bar to his success here. You think that's why he killed her? He knew how Khan would feel about divorce. So, yes. I think he plotted a squalid murder, and with his little scientist mind, he gave them all the clues they wanted, fabricated clues. Clues that would point to a murderer who didn't exist. Then... Tim Perkins got 61% in his exam. He must have cheated. He must have had access to the papers in the case. And if he'd opened it, he'd seen the cape and the boots, the gloves and the cable. So, Rode killed him too before he could tell anyone. Poor Tim. If I hadn't tried to help him, he'd still be alive. Another brandy?
5: No. I should be
2: going. When you were up in London, Thursday, was it? Yes. I've arranged with my crammer man to have lunch with him in one of those dreadful clubs in Pall (laughs) Mall. Come and dine with me that evening. Spend the night
5: if you want. You'll feel better by then. I might be able to help you. For Adrian's sake. By Water Street, Chelsea,
2: number 9A black tie I usually do but it doesn't matter I suppose this will all come out at the trial about Tim and me I don't see how they can prevent it Ah well I feel much better now anyway getting it off my chest good night smiley
5: Inspector. Something happened, sir. I'm glad you got my message. I'm coming up on the first train in the morning. I'll give you the number at my flat. Will you still be in London? I expect so. Fielding's just given me some information, and it needs to become part of the official investigation as quickly as possible.
3: Well, you better tell me.
5: Rode planned the murder from the start. He wanted to make it look like a robbery with violence. He collected the writing case from Fielding and walked back to North Fields. He put on the plastic cape and hood, wellingtons and gloves... He armed himself with the weapon, he let himself in by the garden gate and rang the bell. His wife came to the door, he knocked her down, dragged her to the conservatory and murdered her. He rinsed the clothes under the tap and put them in the parcel. There was one article which was too dangerous to put in the parcel and send to London. The weapon.
3: How did he get the weapon into that ditch? He wasn't out of our sight for 48 hours after the murder.
5: Yes. Yes. That's the conundrum, isn't it? Hello?
1: George,
4: thank heaven.
5: Oh, hello, Brim. I've only just got home. I haven't even started to unpack.
4: I know. I've turned just all the arms. Look, you need to get over to The Voice as soon as you can. We've got a visitor and he's terribly keen to talk to us. Both of us. What visitor? Just be a good fellow and hop in a taxi, would you? Hello, Mr. Rhodes. George, how nice.
8: Good of you to come, sir. Very.
4: So,
8: how can we help you? It's, uh this article you're writing about Stella. I don't want you to do it. Too many people know, you see. Know what, exactly? Mr Cardew understands. He knows why I gave up chapel, too. I couldn't bear to see her there every Sunday, down on her knees. Not the way she was. It made a fool of your faith. I should have listened to her father. Oh, yes? Well, they were big people in Bournemouth, the Glastons. And Mr Glaston was poorly. Stella looked after him. I used to visit on Sundays sometimes. I was teaching at the grammar school while I studied for my degree. I made up my mind that if I passed, I'd ask Stella to marry me. And you did pass, of course. That day, Mr. Glaston met me at the door. He took me into his study. I know you want to marry Stella, he said. But you don't know her. Then he started talking about her. I never thought to hear a man talk like that about his own child. Yes. He said she was bad. Bad in her heart, full of malice. That's why no staff would ever stay with them. He said she'd lead people on, all warm and kind, till they told her everything, then she'd turn on them, hurt them, saying wicked, wicked things, half true, half lies. He told me a lot more besides. It
4: must have been hard to hear such things about the girl, you
8: know. I called him a jealous old man who didn't want to lose his housekeeper. Stella and I were married a month later. And her father? Oh, we both pretended nothing had been said. He gave us £2,000. I thought he was trying to make up for it. I even wrote to say I forgave him. (laughs) He didn't reply. And you and Stella, once you were married? Happy enough for a while. She liked to swank a bit, being Samuel Glaston's daughter. She kept reminding me she came from money and I didn't have any. We had a few rows about it. We always kissed and made up.
4: Then you went to Cannes?
8: And I found out that what her father said was true. In what way? In all honesty. Stella hadn't been all that keen on chapel before. The minute she got to Carnes, she went for it in a big way. She knew it would look wrong, you see. That it would hurt me. The chapel in Bournemouth is a big, fine building. Carnes is just a little place with a tin roof. She wanted to be different. She played at being humble. Played at? I wouldn't have minded if she'd been sincere. You see, she was a great listener. Every drop of dirt and gossip she hoarded away. She'd come home after one of her chapel days and sometimes she'd laugh so hard I thought she'd gone mad. I've got them, she'd say. I know all their little secrets and I've got them in the hollow of my hand, Stan. Surely
4: everyone gossip.
8: Stella did it to profit. Anything decent, anything good, she'd drag it down and spoil it those that realised got scared of her. She found out the furniture man, Mulligan, had a daughter with a kid up near Lemington. She discovered the daughter wasn't married. Lord knows how. She made Mulligan help the Snows move in and then refused to pay his bill. Instead of a cheque she wrote greetings from Lemington spa on his bill and sent it back. He knew and she just laughed. But in the end Someone got their own back, didn't they? Yes. Someone got their own back. Oh, Janie didn't do it. They were as close as moon and stars. That's what she said. Stella cooked Janie meals, gave her clothes, money. It made her feel good to have Janie crawling round her. Not because she was kind, but because she was cruel. My wife was a... Well, she wasn't a very nice woman, Mr. Smiley. I'm sorry. I had to tell someone. I thought it would be terrible, you know, to say all this out loud, but actually, I knew you'd be a good person. Please don't write the obituary. If you don't have any
5: plans, Mr. Rowe, you might go back to my house. I can make some lunch. At scratch, I'm
8: afraid.
4: We can pick up a few things on the way.
8: Well, you're very kind, both of you. I should like that very much.
5: Smiley. Rigby here. Splendid. I was about to leave you a message.
3: I've got the handwriting expert's report. It's rather puzzling.
5: The exam paper.
3: All the writing and figures were done with the same ballpoint pen, in the same writing. The boy's writing.
5: Fielding couldn't have tinkered with it. That's right, sir. I see. I think we're reaching the end of the chase, Inspector.
3: You don't sound very happy about it.
5: No. No, I don't think I am.
4: That must have been awful for you.
5: I wish I still had him. I like that poor dog. Oh, yes,
0: your dog.
8: Someone mentioned something. What happened to it? One day I came home from school and found him lying in the garage, whimpering, terrified. There was blood all over his back where she'd beaten him. She must have lost control. And then... Oh, dear. Take your time. I shouted at her and she laughed and... I hit her in the face. Something I never thought I'd do to any woman, let alone my wife. I gave her 24 hours to have the dog destroyed. It was the only kind thing to do. Otherwise, I'd go to the police. She screamed at me. It was her dog, and she'd do what she liked with it. The dog was put down. I suppose she told the vet some tale. She could spin a good tale about anything, like those Hungarians.
4: What Hungarians were they?
8: Refugees. Miss Darcy offered them a home. Stella got hold of them and spun them such a horror story about Darcy and his sister. All of it lies, of course, that the Hungarians ran away and had to be taken back to London. Oh. And Stella was proud of her little joke. She used to meet them in odd places, odd times. In the woods, or a graveyard, or at midnight somewhere. Anything for a bit of drama. Same with Janie. It must have been difficult for you. I didn't know where to turn. After the dog, she started pretending I was violent, cringing away when I came near, as if I was going to hit her again. She told Mr. Cardew I was planning to murder her. One day, she said, it's no good killing me now, Stan. They'll know who's done it. Or, or you'll do for me in the long nights, she'd say. She loved those words and the sound they made. Oh, Stan, keep me safe in the long nights. And I, yes? When someone keeps on at you, begging you not to do something, something you never meant to do anyhow, Well, you start to think that you might as well. You might do it after all. I started to plan how I might kill her. You'll hate me now, I expect. You've been so very kind. On the night of the murder, why did you leave the writing case behind? I've thought about that. Stella got there before me, and I think Fielding gave her the case... Right off, so it wouldn't be forgotten later. Fielding's dining here this evening. I could have sworn she was carrying it as we stood in the hall saying goodbye, but I I must have been mistaken. It wasn't till we got home that she asked me what I'd done with it. She asked you what you'd done with it? Yes. Then she had her temper and made me go back for it. She insisted. I see. Thank you.
5: Mr. Rhodes. Inspector Rigby is on his way here you'll have a warrant for your arrest. My arrest? What do you mean? I don't want you to become distressed, Mr. Rode. There's no need to be anything other than perfectly calm.
4: I knew your brother well in the war, Mr. Fielding.
2: You were his secretary for a while, Mm. as I recall. Adrian was the best of me. It's embarrassing how the bad live on. (laughs) Embarrassing for the bad, rate. Delicious. Thank you.
5: The story you told me on Thursday about cheating for Tim Perkins. How you altered the exam paper. What about it? It isn't true. What? The police have examined it and it isn't true. The writing was all one person's, the boys. If anyone cheated, it must have been him. The police are practically moronic. Of course, you might be protecting Perkins by lying for him, for his honour, so to speak. I can see a situation where there might have been collusion, where you were moved by the boy's distress. But I don't
2: think there was. The answers were in the case, too. With respect, Smiley, why don't you keep off this? I'm trying to help Fielding, for Adrian's sake.
5: (sighs) Ah. I beg you to believe that. I want to get it straight before Rigby arrives. Rigby's coming here? What are you up to? He's been taking care of, Road. You see, what matters terribly is the writing case. Everything hangs on whether you really saw inside it and whether Perkins did. I really don't see why. The police aren't really moronic, you know. I'm not sure what you're trying to
2: say, old chap.
5: Let's start from the other end, then. Suppose for a moment it was you who killed Stella Road.
6: What?
5: Suppose you had a reason, a terribly good reason, and suppose you went ahead of Road that night after giving him the case by bicycle, for example. <clears throat> As Janey said, riding on the wind. If that was what happened, none of the things you said were in the case would have been in it at all. You could have made all that up. And later, when the exam results came out and you realised Perkins had cheated, you knew that he'd seen inside the case, seen that it contained nothing but exam papers. That would explain why you had to kill the boy.
4: George!
2: And this reason, this terribly good reason. What might that have been? Stella Road knew about your conviction up north, in
5: the war. Her father was the magistrate who heard it. Inspector Rigby has looked up the case. I think she blackmailed you. That has, I suppose. A certain logic. She knew how broke you were, how much you needed another job. She kept you on a hook, threatening to expose you. She knew to her hair how far to push it.
2: And what would she have gained?
5: I have no money. Stellarode wasn't interested in money. There was something much more gratifying to her. She wanted to command you, to own you. She loved to conspire, didn't she? She summoned you to meetings at absurd times and in absurd places. At night, especially, to heighten the drama. She wanted nothing from you but to make you listen to her boasts and her intrigues, to make you fawn and cringe and tell her how wonderful she was then let you run away till next time.
2: This is what the police think, is it? I can't speak for the police. How would I know Rode would come back for the writing case that night? Oh, she arranged it. It was part of her game. Arranged it? How? When? When she arrived at your
5: house for dinner, before her husband. She summoned you to another meeting, late, secret, after your dinner, one of her dramas, at her own house, where her husband might return and find you. As the Rhodes were leaving your house, Stella had the case in her hand. When they arrived home, she was without it. She made Road go back for it. It gave you about half an hour between Road picking up the case and reaching home again. Half an hour for you to cycle to Northfields and endure her taunts. Or half an hour in which to kill her.
4: Is this true, George?
5: Let us suppose that you had already been planning to kill her, to ride out there one night when Rode was teaching late. You had your boots and your cape, even the cable you stole from Rhodes's classroom. You meant to lay a false trail, but what a golden opportunity when Perkins turned up with the writing case. Stella wanted her meeting, When she arrived, the writing case was agreed upon as the means of achieving it. Or at least, I suspect that's the way the police are thinking. And you see,
2: they know it wasn't Rode. How can they know that? He has no alibi. We don't know
5: what people are like. We can never tell. There isn't any truth about human beings, no formula that fits each one of us. And there are some of us, aren't there, who are... Nothing, who are so labile that we astound ourselves. We're the chameleons. I read a story once about a poet who bathed himself in cold fountains so that he could tell he actually existed from the pain of it. He had to reassure himself, you see, like a child being hateful to its parents. How do you know it wasn't rude? People like that. They can't feel anything inside them, no pleasure or pain, no love or hate. They're ashamed and frightened that they can't feel. And their shame, this shame-fielding, drives them to extravagance and colour. They have to feel that cold water. Without it, they're nothing. The world sees them as showmen, fantasists, liars, as sensualists, perhaps. Not for what they are. The living dead. How do you know it wasn't Rode? Apart from the frankly astonishing list of things which could have gone wrong, he was under constant supervision for 48 hours after the murder. He had no opportunity to dispose of the weapon, which was found four miles down the road in a ditch long before Roeth had a chance to throw it there. Perhaps that wasn't the murder weapon. And then there's a rather more concrete piece of evidence. What evidence? It's to do with the parcel. Rigby spoke to your housekeeper. It seems that she telephoned Stella Road on the morning before the murder at your specific request to say a boy would be bringing some old clothes up to Northfields. Would she be sure to keep the parcel open till he delivered them? But no boy was ever sent. And when Dorothy Darcy went to Northfields the day after the murder, the parcel had already been closed up. With the murderer's clothes inside. What did Stella Rhodes threaten to do? Write an anonymous letter to your next school. Smiley. Go now, Fielding. There's very little time. For
2: God's sake, go now, before Rigby gets here. George. I'll finish this excellent glass of wine first. Fielding. Always the showman, you see. <laughs> Is that the police? I
5: expect so. Brim, would you? Yes, of Stop them, Smiley. I don't think I can. Not now. Good evening, Mr. For Adrian's sake. Not even for Adrian's sake.
2: They'll hang me.
3: Terence Fielding. Stop him, Smiley. I am arresting you for the murder of Stella Margaret Road.
2: They'll hang me.
3: Anything you say may be taken down and used in evidence against you. Smiley.
6: Smiley!
4: Are you all right, George?
5: Yes, thank you, Brim.
4: He'll be at the police station by now. Come back indoors. In a moment. You catch your death out here. You need someone to look after you, George. Someone who doesn't bolt.
5: I married Anne Brim. What
4: are you looking at anyway? Nothing to see out here.
5: No, not much. Just the street. And the shadows.
8: In A Murder of Quality by John le Carré, George Smiley was played by Simon Russell Beale, Terence Fielding, Geoffrey Palmer, Ailsa, Marcia Warren, Inspector Rigby, Sam Dale, and Stanley Road, Geoffrey Stretfield. Anne Snow was Alison Pettit, Mr Snow, Matt Addis, Janie, Amanda Lawrence, Shane Hecht, Liza Sadovy. Darcy, Philip Fox, Hecht, Malcolm Tierney, Perkins, Benjamin Askew, and the girl was Lizzie Watts. A Murder of Quality was dramatised by Sean McKenna, and the director was Mark Beebe.